Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Santiago from The Old Man and the Sea. And joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Andrew, do you remember when you first read The Old Man and the Sea? Uh, never read it, only listened to it. Oh. Um, I, I, it's, I did not like consume a lot of Hemingway, um, even in college. Um, I think I was in a class where we discussed The Sun Also Rises. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was my American novel class with, with Dennis Cutchins. Um, we did like seven novels. I did not read all of them all the way through. Yeah. It's <laughs> hard in a semester when you um, have other classes too. Mm-hmm. I, I several reading heavy classes. Yeah. Um, but so I think that was the main Hemingway that I had gone through. I probably read snows of Kilimanjaro or an excerpt from it. Is that one a short story? Yes. If that one's a short story, then it's in the anthology, and we probably read that in one of my anthology classes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in the Norton. Um, but I think this is probably the most I've enjoyed uh, a Hemingway. I think I think listening to it was quite nice, actually. Uh, who's the narrator? Uh, Donald Sutherland um, was the the audible version that I listened to. That feels like had... a really good match. He's mm-hmm. got that kind of gravelly. Uh, and I I mean he he definitely has range, but he can also give like bordering on a monotone. Yes. Like he knows how to keep it settled and smooth and like understated maybe is the, you know, the, the way he would narrate this, which seems appropriate for Hemingway. Um, Definitely does. Like there's, there's enough action in this that someone could get kind of excited Mm -hmm. as they read it. And you probably shouldn't if you're (laughs) reading it out loud, right? Like that's not how Hemingway wants you to read it out loud. Yeah. It's uh clipped and uh you know methodical is mm-hmm. is I think what what he'd be wanting to have uh a little bit more. That's one of the better matches. I, I mean I th- I'm sure there's many good matches, but I also re- I, like my my other two favorite matches that I remember from Audible were uh David Hyde Pierce reading Gulliver's Travels. Mm. Which is just excellent and then Nick Offerman reading uh Mark Twain's uh Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Those are those, those are excellent good. matches as well. <laughs> I could uh, Nick Offerman could read Hemingway. I think I think Nick Offerman would do a pretty good Hemingway. Yeah, you're right. I remember reading this in junior high, ninth grade. I, I feel like this it. would have made me really angry if I was younger. Yeah, like as an adult, I'm like, man, this like this speaks to me in some ways, and mm-hmm. it makes me frustrated in some ways. I think if I was a young man. I would just be like, if I was in ninth grade, I would throw this across the room. Like what, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. I remember just, you know, not really liking it. I've um, revisited a couple times in, in college and also for, I, I've taught it. Um, so uh, I've, I've gotten to know it and appreciate it more, but I remember in ninth grade, not, not liking it and feeling like, what was the point? Like what? The sharks ate the fish. <laughs> what, what, what was the point? The spoiler for for the end of the mm-hmm. novel. Uh, and uh, it turns out I was an immature reader. <laughs> that was on me. <laughs> that was not on the text. It was also on the American education system that starts foisting I, novels about middle age issues yes. onto uh, you know twelve and thirteen year olds and says, "Enjoy this, or you're a philistine." <laughs> yes, I think like as 
an adult who like works at a job and sometimes I get tired and I keep working anyway, or as an adult who like has had a baby and you get exhausted, but you keep working anyway. And it's like, okay, well it's time to pick up the baby. Yeah. It's 2 AM and I've only slept for three hours, but like it's time to pick up the baby. Like having had adult experiences, I think I have like some appreciation for this. And like I said, if I was a teenager, I just, I don't think it would mean anything to me because I don't have, any like none of that means anything to <laughs> a modern day teenager who's reading this for school like what is like that's that doesn't matter it's like uh i mean another modernist writer that i had to read i'm pretty sure in ninth grade if not it was 10th i read fitzgerald's great gatsby didn't like it not very good in my mind at the time reread it uh, you know, in uh, in grad school, I'm like, oh, this is this this. There's a reason this is in the discussion for greatest novel, American novels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, turns out again, I had been wrong, but also maybe the education system needs to do a little better scaffolding in introducing some of these classics to young readers in the American uh, school system. Well, and there tends to like I think at a certain point there starts to get to be an attitude where it's like, yeah, and you read these things in high school. And you don't read them as an adult. Like that is when you would have read them. Right. And because I read it in high school, I'm never going to read it again. Uh, yeah. And it turns out. The, or, or if I didn't get to it in high school, I'm right. not going to get to it in as an adult. It's like, that's a bad idea because like your appreciation changes, your taste changes, your experiences have a significant impact on how you're going to read something. And they didn't explain that to me in high school. It's like, <laughs> now this might not work for you. And that's, you know, like your experiences are going to be different, but here's what we're going to get out of it as we can. It's like, it's like no, th- this is what great literature making... is. And if you don't get it, why, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe you guys should have like focused on a slightly different work for the audience that you're dealing with. And then you say now, like there's really great novels and mm-hmm. I would have appreciated great novels as an adult more. If I had been trained, like there are great novels for whatever you are at whatever stage yeah. you are at and i do not want at all want to put this on my teachers like they're hamstrung oh. by mm-hmm. regu- you know regulations by state legislators expectations by, and, and by like- school districts yeah like and, and by the weight of the canon uh you know this this idea of what the great american novel is um and, and so I, I i'm not trying to throw any of my teachers under the bus in my complaint well, uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar, The Old Man in the Sea is a 1952 novel written by Ernest Hemingway. It tells the story of Santiago, an old Cuban fisherman who hooks a giant marlin while fishing in the ocean and struggles to reel it in and get it back to shore. And, and that's really it. That's what the whole <laughs> whole thing's about. Uh, it, it's a pretty brief novel. Like the, the audiobook, I can't imagine, was more than three hours. Um, I, th- I think it was about two and a half hours. So novella more than novel. You know, longer than the short story, not quite novel, probably. Um, and some trivia about this, uh, the old man in the sea was very well received when it was published and it won the Pulitzer prize for fiction in 1953 and was also specifically noted when Hemingway won the Nobel prize in literature in 1954. This was the last piece of fiction published by Hemingway, uh, during his lifetime. Some things have been published, uh, posthumously. Um, he couldn't, he would commit suicide in 1961 at the age of 61. Um, and, uh, some of the works that he had been working on in that interim between um, publishing The Old Man in the Sea and his suicide uh, have been published since then. Uh, some of his life, because Hemingway is one of those figures that has like a reputation, 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like Andrew, you, I, I'm assuming you don't know a whole lot of Hemingway's biography, personal biography. Is that accurate? Um, not extensively. I mean, he's one of the people that gets discussed a lot right. in my college classes because I was in an American literature. You but, know, but what what is major. like the the idea of Hemingway? What does it mean to be a Hemingway character or what right. is like he- Hemingway esque? Yeah, Hemingway esque. What, what does that mean to you? Um, it is stoic and relatively unemotional while still dealing with heavily emotional things like this is the most important thing in my life but i'm not going to smile or be animated as i tell you this i you just need to believe me as i tell you that this is the most important thing that i have felt in my entire life yeah you know, and i think that kind of delivery a lot of the criticism of Hemingway and his characters gets um, into issues of like uh, toxic masculinity or performative masculinity. Uh, um, some of the way that female characters get treated as writing, maybe not, not great uh, at times. And couldn't tell you based issues. on this novel. Yeah, <laughs> not, not going to come up much in this one. Uh, so there's definitely some critique there. Some of it valid, some of it invalid. But when you learn more about his life, I think a different sketch of Hemingway comes to light. So um, in, I, I, I will tell you. Based yeah. on this novel, when you mentioned that he committed suicide, I was like, you know, I could see some of those issues in in his writing. <laughs> you know, you can see the depression in his yes. writing. Yeah, uh, depression is going to become uh, a feature uh, of his life. So he's born in 1899. Uh, and so the world's about to go through a few things uh in his young young adulthood and he tries to enlist during world war one uh and but because of bad eyesight he's going to be uh turned away from the army uh and instead he will volunteer for the red cross and become an ambulance driver on the italian front and he gets seriously wounded as an ambulance driver uh and while he's recuperating he falls in love with a nurse uh who's helping him to convalesce and he absolutely believed they were going to get married uh, and he returns to the United States, but she never comes and said she marries an Italian officer. And one Hemingway biographer says, like, from this point on, Hemingway ensures that he will end any relationships with women before they can leave him. <laughs> so uh, as part of what's coming, he's going to be married four times uh, in, in his life. Um, so, uh, OK, young man, that's a lot has happened at this point. Uh, he's going to become part of the Lost Generation, which is a group of expatriate American artists living in Paris in the 1920s. Uh, so this is Gertrude Stein and uh, Fitzgerald, uh, F. Scott and Zella Fitzgerald, uh, lots of artists, writers, uh, all hanging out. Musicians. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to, yeah, like he's going to know Picasso at this point uh, as well, I believe. Uh, and it's quite a scene. Yeah. And, and he's there in there, like honing his craft uh, as a writer. Um, just some other uh, bits. He's, he's So after he lives in Paris, he's going to end up living in Florida, Wyoming, Cuba, and eventually Idaho. He's going to go through these series of uh, failed marriages and be married four times. Um, in 1954, so right as Old Man in the Sea uh, has uh, come out and he's kind of like been rediscovered. Uh, or, or like newly popularized, like a, like a mainstream hit for him. Uh, he's in a plane crash while on a safari in Africa. The next day, he gets aboard a second plane to fly for medical treatment, and the second plane explodes during takeoff. Um, <laughs> and when he finally gets to the place that he was going to for treatment, reporters were there covering the story of his death. <laughs> and, and he arrives there. Um, and uh, reportedly, in, these, in this plane crash and then explosion... 
He suffered two cracked discs in his back, a kidney rupture, a liver rupture, a dislocated shoulder, a fractured skull, burns, and a concussion. Uh, and then not too long after this, he's going to go on a fishing trip with friends, and a bushfire is going to break out, and he's going to get second-degree burns on his legs, torso, left hand, and right arm. Andrew, it's not going to surprise you, I'm sure. He's been a bit of a drinker in his life. It mm-hmm. maybe gets upped after this sequence of events. Yeah, at that point, self-medication is definitely something that you can you can understand someone doing. I'm not saying it's a recommended tactic, mm-hmm. uh, but I I see where it's coming from. Yeah, um, and he wins the uh, Nobel Prize in Literature shortly after all this, and part of him is convinced that it's only because they thought he had, like, the, the news of his death had, like, reminded people of him, that he didn't really earn it. Like, it was... Uh, Oh, he still he made it uh, and it was kind of a pity uh, prize. Uh, So he can't even enjoy winning the Nobel Prize. Uh, And uh, let's see. Oh, one other thing uh, that. um, Oh, it's it's uh, I thought I put it in here. I must have uh, just read it. But um, in his life, he also uh, in World War Two worked as a uh, reporter and uh he was there at normandy watching the uh soldiers go into normandy uh but the reporters weren't allowed to be too close too close uh but he saw all of normandy uh and and had a report on it he was also there for um the allies making it to paris um and uh reportedly he um against some international laws because he was there as a reporter he ended up leading a uh, resistance cell in Paris. <laughs> um, he insists he didn't really do anything. He just offered a little bit of guidance from the sidelines. But after they um, free Paris from occupation, he like reconnects with some of the people he'd known during uh, the 1920s. Like he, he reconnects with Gertrude Stein and Picasso, apparently, um, in that. Uh, and um, his time as a reporter is lots of people connected this with his writing style, which he himself referred to as the iceberg theory of writing, which is that you tell the reader um, just enough. And then they've got to infer the additional meaning. So you're giving them like the short curt reporterly, like, like you're wiring your report story from (laughs) one continent to another. So you're going to cut all the excess words and really leave it, as spare as possible. A lot of his narrative writing is similarly spare and seems to have been very much inspired by uh, the techniques that he had to master as a reporter um, during during the various wars that he covered. Most famously he covered World War II, but he was also bouncing around to other hotspots around the globe when he was working as a reporter. So <clears throat> with all of that, knowing about the uh, his being wounded at a young age uh, in battle, uh, seeing Normandy, being involved in World War II as a reporter, uh, all these accidents on the planes, and then his eventual suicide. I think you can step back and say there may have been some PTSD in this man's life. Mm-hmm. I'd say uh, at at minimum, <laughs> and and uh, this idea of like the the Hemingway man's man. Um, some of that may have been a facade and there may have been some more roiling underneath that didn't get addressed in his lifetime. Yeah, there's certainly, um, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the reputation and everything, it's, it's kind of like a, a Teddy Roosevelt kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that that you think of with Hemingway um, and a, a bravado and, a, you know, hunt, hunting in Africa um, yes. kind of masculinity, which he definitely did do. Uh, like he, he was mm-hmm. a big game hunter. He like when he's in Idaho and Wyoming, he, he was a rancher and a uh, hunter as well. And, you know, like those were part of his life for sure. But the the picture that you've just painted is a real sad guy. This is like this guy is a downer who's keeping it together. Yeah, uh, and yeah, until he he couldn't. It, it, yeah, and, until until that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those things. It's like, oh, okay, I like he is struggling. Yeah, there, there's a lot uh, to his life that I think the pop culture version of him doesn't do justice to uh, everything that he had to endure, and uh, like there can be true delight in some of the versions like uh the, the Hemingway in uh Midnight in Paris mm-hmm. uh is very much leaning into this idea of the man's man and like what is true and right uh which I think the words true and right are mentioned several times in the old man in the sea uh but you know writing writing a true sentence uh you know th- that kind of idea and and uh you know the, the man will find himself in fear and and facing death uh like those are part those are parts of him they they almost become parodied uh in our perception of him I think though Mm-hmm. I, and I really do love the version of, of Hemingway that we get in Midnight in Paris. I'm not knocking that at all, <laughs> but, but just know that's a, a very broad brush that was being used in that portrayal. Right. All right. Well, before we move on to the summary of old man in the sea, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. We especially want to thank you. Uh, those of you who are supporting us on Patreon, if you would like to support us, we invite you to go to patreoncom slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. On to the spoiler summary. I love this like sweet, tight, direct narrative line. <laughs> And I'm writing a summary uh, and an old man in the sea really gives you, uh, you know, uh, no tangents. It, yeah, yeah, you don't have to bounce around. Um, just, there's just no, is. there's no flashbacks really. No disentangling the plots uh, and saying like, okay, here's the whole A plot. Here's the whole B. Nope, it's this is what happens. Okay, so Santiago is an old, very experienced fisherman in Cuba, but he has failed to catch anything for 84 straight days. A boy, Manolin, has been his helper, but Manolin's parents don't want him helping Santiago anymore because of his failure to bring back fish. Manolin still visits Santiago every night to help him haul his gear back and also to talk about baseball, especially Joe DiMaggio and the Yankees. The next day, Santiago sails out farther than usual and drops a hook. A fish takes the bait and starts to pull the fishing skiff that Santiago's on. Santiago knows this must be a huge fish, fish and it must be a marlin. Santiago also knows he cannot pull too tightly or the line will snap. He keeps tension uh, on the line by holding it across his shoulders and back and hands. Uh, and he waits for the fish to tire. It pulls him all day and all night and the next day and the next night. And Santiago is exhausted, in pain, wounded from the line cutting into him. He's dehydrated, like his hand is cramping and curling in on itself because he's so dehydrated and malnourished at this point. And on the third day, Santiago is able to pull the marlin close enough to and kill it with a harpoon. It is the largest marlin Santiago has ever seen in his life. It's bigger than his fishing skiff. He has to just lash the fish to the side of the boat. And then he raises a sail and begins his slow journey home. 
the Marlin's blood attracts sharks. Santiago is able to kill the first shark that comes with uh, his harpoon, but he loses his harpoon in the process. He then uses a knife and like lashes it to, uh, is it his oar? I can't remember exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. He makes a crude spear to try and fight off the next sharks, uh, but it, there's too many and his, he doesn't have the right tools and eventually the sharks devour the meat off of the marlin. Uh, he fights as many off as he can, but most of the fish is devoured before he reaches shore in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, he staggers back to his shack and falls asleep. In the morning, the other fishermen are amazed at the size of the skeleton that is lashed to Santiago's boat. Manolin brings Santiago coffee and paper, uh, newspapers with the baseball scores. He wakes up uh, and uh, Santiago, Santiago wakes up and Manolin agrees to, to be his helper again. And then Santiago falls asleep and dreams of lions in Africa. The end. So, like I said, fairly straightforward in terms of plot uh but andrew why do you think this became both a popular hit a critical hit and like a prize winner you know winning the pulitzer um being specifically mentioned when he's going to win the nobel prize for literature what is it that's special about this book to you i mean it's really good yeah okay i mean that's, that's like my first thing i was like you know that's fair like those prizes are fair like it's pretty good you know he is writing what he means to be writing and he's got a style to it um but also, he, like, he is saying what he wants to be saying about this. And it, it like, for it being just three days holding on to a fishing line, it's really compelling. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is theoretically a mundane task. <laughs> you know, like, he's holding on to the fishing line and, um, and, and, you know, using his skill and his str- knowledge. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of narrative to this process as he's going through these multiple days. Um, But also like there's kind of a factor where you're like, okay, you know, this is not going to make him a millionaire and he's old and he's, you know, getting weaker. It's like, even if this paid for the rest of his life, he's already lived his life. And so there's like immediately you already know that this is, not a great epic story about how someone conquered something and changed their life and everything turned out wonderfully or, or saved the world on a hero's quest. Yeah. Like it's none of that stuff. It's like, no, it's just this guy is doing his thing and he is being as tough as he can make himself be to do something that, that is like really noble in, in his like pursuit of being a good fisherman, right? Like this is going to be, the crowning achievement of his fishing career. And so he's, he's motivated by that stuff. And, and I mean, you get like a character sketch of this guy and you get a lot of sense of the struggle, right? I'd say like, mm-hmm. there's more struggle in this than in your classic hero's journey. They're like seven out of eight times. Yeah. And I think there's something that you feel more in this struggle because, um, you know, often in the hero's journey, like there, whenever your hero's in the abyss, like there's going to be some form of emotional or physical struggle or suffering uh, that your character goes through in, in the cycle of the hero's journey, right? In the Campanile mm-hmm. one. But, uh, and, and a lot of times it's almost like uh, hyperbolic because it gets heightened by fantasy, the fantasy genre, the sci fi genre, like it becomes larger than life, the kind of suffering that they're going to endure. I think there's something about the grounding of Santiago as just an old man going through this that makes the struggle feel more significant than some of those larger than life versions of struggle that we get. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, there's messages about like loneliness and isolation. I don't like, I don't know how many times, but it struck me how many times he says, I wish the boy was here. I wish I wasn't doing this alone. I wish there was someone with me, someone younger. And, you know, I wish I was sharing this experience. You know, there's so much of that where it's like, man, this is really hard to do alone. And so there's messages about like relationships and isolation and loneliness. And then, I mean, there's that, but it's also like, it it really is a little moving when Madeline is there (laughs) at Santiago's side again, Mm -hmm. you know, immediately like that, that that's where he, he needs to be and where he should be. And so when, when Santiago's back, of course, Madeline's there with the New York Yankees scores. I like it. It's just, that to me is like a lovely touch of, um, what Santiago has been enduring has been so defining for him, but the entire world just kept going. You know, it's, uh, and and he knows it. Yeah. You know, Uh, like he's, he's thinking about it. It's like, well, I am looking forward to getting the baseball scores. Yes. When I get back. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, like the world's not stopping. And he asks Madeline and Madeline tells him like, Oh, we, we, we searched, uh, when you didn't come back, like, yeah, we did. We we did go look. Uh, and, and, um, you know, I was, I was looking for you every day. Uh, but also, you know, I was, I just, was fishing. Yeah, like, the world's like also Manal- still just going on. Yeah. Manolin says like, well, I caught one fish this day and I caught two fish the other day. And, and so it's like, yeah, like other people were still catching fish. And, and Santiago knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and, what it would be like, like they, mm-hmm. they need to keep living. <laughs> yeah. And, but you also get like the achievement, even though he doesn't bring in the fish, like they're measuring the skeleton. They're like, this thing was a big fish. Like we are going to check this thing out. And they say it was like 18 feet long, which is, mm-hmm. that's huge. I yeah. like, I can't even like conceive of a Marlin that big. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and yeah, so like he is getting, even though on the one hand he failed, like he didn't bring back the meat. He he wasn't able to sell the meat for anything. Um, in like, he's succeeding in terms of, like, like the respect that he's being given immediately and like the awe with which he's being received. Mm-hmm. And, and he was already respected, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, further cementing that. And and you see it quickly. Like everyone's like, yeah, like we're going to help him out. We'll make sure his boat gets yeah. pulled up into shore. We're going to measure the fish for him. Like nobody, like he's not asking for this help. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, Oh, this guy who was alone was still part of a good community. Yeah. And that's a really I- nice feature. I do think like there's that balance though of uh, like he's one of the most experienced fishermen, but he's also on this 84 day drought and like Madeline's parents are like you got to go to someone else so you can actually start catching fish. So I think he is feeling some some loss of mm-hmm. of respect, not uh, in terms of like how he's treated as a person, but in terms of it, people believing he's lost lost it. You know? Yeah, it's like okay, it's time for him to retire. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And now he's bringing back the largest fish any of them have ever seen. And and he's not like and like, and somehow the like his motivation is never about well I've got to do it to prove I've still got it right mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a does he still have it he's just like well I go out and I catch fish you know this is the work <laughs> that I do until I can't do it anymore and as long as I can really make myself do it and he really does make himself do it you know like like there's a lot of the mental fortitude that he's putting into it kind of unnecessarily um, into like, I've really got to do this. And he's, and he never really debates like, should he be doing it? Should he not be doing it? Um, he has so much respect for the fish as he's doing it. He's constantly talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just really interesting. I really did like it. Yeah. Um, even though I did have that twinge of frustration, I'm like, it didn't even work out, but also I'm like, yeah. it doesn't make it less good of a story just because it wasn't mm-hmm. successful, but it's and, like, it's not exactly a tragedy either. Yeah. In terms of that, um, there's a lot of Christian imagery, uh, in the book, he, like his hands getting wounded. Uh, when he gets back to shore, he's carrying his, uh, sail back up. And a lot of people mm-hmm. identify that as being like Christ carrying his cross. Uh, he's gone for three days. Um, he, he and, stabs the fish in the heart. Yes. So there's a lot of Christian imagery. And I think part of that is also the idea that, um, you know, Christ dying isn't a failure. Like that's actually the greatest triumph. And for Santiago, him going out to catch a fish and coming back with nothing isn't his greatest failure. It's actually going to be one of his greatest triumphs. Uh, and yeah, that's something that's been you know identified. And you can find a lot of commentary about the Christian allegory or the Christian symbolism uh, within Old Man of the Sea. And I think that idea specifically of what is potentially failure or loss or uh the low point actually being you know a great great significance and also the greatest triumph simultaneously is is one thing that you you seem to be circling a little in what you're talking about Mm -hmm. yeah and like i've listened to it recently i haven't done a lot of thought or analysis about it so i appreciate you bringing some of the the work that's been done for it i mean this is something would you be teaching this one regularly um i haven't I've taught uh, more often I do short stories just because um, Hemingway, I've got to cover him. I don't teach a class just on Hemingway. I do the survey of American lit and I cover him in the modernist. So I usually stick to short stories this semester though. I'm, I am going to be teaching it and I've, I have um, had it before in some like online courses that I've done uh, doing old man in the sea. But this is the first time I'm going to be like fully lecturing for a couple days on Hemingway and this story specifically. So you've you've had a chance to like engage with some of the the assessments and research that's been done on it. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a lot of really interesting things um, in terms of like even uh, Santiago and Manolin, um the idea of uh, the the way they kind of uh, what each one lacks, the other one has, and that's one thing that Santiago is missing and has to like find for himself as an old man again is like the energy, right? Like Madeline is giving him strength and energy. Uh, Santiago is giving knowledge, skill, uh, you know, familiarity with the water, like all the, all these things uh, from, from experience, but he's, he's kind of lost some of the strength and energy. Mm-hmm. And by not having Madeline with him on this, he has to like rediscover his endurance, you know, his, uh, his strength, and, he, and he's feeling that absence. Like you said, he mentioned several times he wishes that Monolin was there. And it, it's amazing well, that so much of that gets given to us in basically like the prologue and <laughs> and the coda <laughs> at the very mm-hmm. like like it's it's uh, Monolin is can only be on I don't know maybe ten pages in this novella. Uh, yeah, like as a physical presence, uh, he gets mentioned many times when Santiago goes out on the ocean, uh, but he's only there at the very beginning and the very end. Well, and the the sense I get each time he mentions it. It's almost that he doesn't want him there necessarily to have the strength of of a young man like on the boat with him. It's like it's almost that he's like, I'm just kind of lonely. Uh-huh. I really like spending time with Manolin and I wish he was here. Like, this is boring. I wish he was here. And well, and also um, like there's some things that uh, like I don't think he would have had. Madeline like holding the line like I think he still would have been holding the line mm-hmm. like that's that's his job but he's uh, when he's trying to get food and he's like yeah he has to keep trying doing to cut up a one-handed. raw fish with one handed <laughs> he's like this would be a lot easier if the boy was here <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but but there's also this like man i just i don't like being alone mm-hmm. um and so you get some of that where it's like you know what i really want is the relationship you know i really want to be connected to other people and i think because the book is called the old man in the sea like that really heightens uh like the idea that like the age differential between these two and mm-hmm. because it is the only like human to human relationship we get in the text. Like I think you're, you're compelled to, to see what Hemingway seems to be getting at. Um, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, there's the relationship between Santiago and the fish and also like Santiago and the ocean, like man versus nature is, is definitely part of this text. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say like, do, should we, should we break down the, what, what the five relationships? <laughs> yeah. Um, you got or, man or, versus or, self, right? Yeah. Man uh, versus that's, self, that's man versus man. Uh, I, and there's not much man versus man in this. Uh, <laughs> if there is at all, you'd say like, um, Santiago feeling maybe that he needs to prove himself to the yeah, village that he still a has a little bit of comp competition, competitive but spirit, lot, but not, not much. It's really lots of man versus self and lots of man versus nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, I wonder if you could like actually calculate, like how much does he say that he hates his own body? Compared to how much he hates the fish, like he doesn't seem to hate the fish. He loves. Oh the no, fish. he one hundred percent respect for the fish. Um, <laughs> right. But he doesn't have respect for his own body, right? He, he's constantly complaining about his left hand cramping. His left up. hand in particular, it really mm-hmm. irks him. Yeah, he's like, man, it, like this hand is weak. I hate this hand. Um, I, I wish it would cut itself off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think at one point, and then, <laughs> and then he also has the debate. It's like, is this my fault? Did I not train my hand properly? Have yeah. I not taken care of myself properly to be fit for this challenge? Um, yeah. and so it, like, he definitely has like the mental fortitude and then he's feeling the challenge against his body. Yeah. And um, then man, I mean, he hates the sharks. Oh yeah. He, he <laughs> did, like he respects the fish. I don't think he respects the sharks. The sharks are a pain. Yeah. And uh, the, yeah, for him, the sharks are just the worst. Uh, I mean, he kills like four or five of them. Yeah. And then he, but he knows they're still chew- like, there's others still chewing up his fish and he, he just hates them. Mm-hmm. He gave he gave everything he could. You know, he lost his harpoon and his knife, and I think he like his club. Um, mm-hmm. He broke the 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 tiller. Yeah. Um, and even in the the writing, uh, like the way Hemingway describes the marlin is so different than the way he describes the sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is a majesty to the marlin, and whereas there's just like grossness about the sharks yeah the sharks the sharks are brown the marlin is silver and, well and with like a uh, luminescent striping on its side like he mm-hmm. talks about the color that it has it, it talks about his, its eye and the connection that santiago feels when he sees it in the eye i think um, like the sharks it's like they're dead eyes yeah and and so uh the, there's like santiago's feelings about it but the, the just the tone of the uh, of the narration is just disgusted with sharks coming and eating this Marlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like he's positive about dolphins. He's positive about the flying fish. He loves the flying fish. Mm-hmm. Those are probably, I mean, those are his favorite fish. Yeah. Um, all right. What, what are the other um, story dynamics? Man versus God. And uh, there's not like, it talks about him praying a lot. Um, or intending to pray. Yes. And saying, like, okay, I'm going to owe you a prayer. <laughs> God. Yeah. I, I uh, owe you a hundred Our Fathers and a hundred Hail Marys. I'm too weak to do it. I'm like, you just brought in the big fish. 
you're too yeah. weak for the prayers now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so there's um, also all, all sorts of references, but I, it doesn't ever feel like God is punishing Santiago, Mm-mm. you know, in this. Um, but yeah, also, it feels it feels very natural. You know, there doesn't seem to be a challenge between him and God and mm-hmm. he's not fighting God. This is this is not Moby Dick and a vendetta or revenge and and blaming it for anything. Yeah, then there's um what is it versus the unknown, right? The Is that the last one? Yeah, and, and then sometimes people throw in one like uh like modernity or society or technology, like some version of that. Um I think is one that that comes he, up, but he mentions a couple of things but not significantly. Yeah. You know, like other people have motorboats. That's mm-hmm. kind of the extent of the mentioning of technology. And uh, as far as like the unknown, like it, it does talk about like he's being pulled out farther than he's ever been. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, but but he still has confidence that he he'll find his way back. Like He never feels lost. At yeah, all. He, he always grounds himself. He's like, mm-hmm. I can tell what which direction I'm going. So I know which way I'm going to get back. Yeah, he, um, he can orient he, himself with multiple ways. He knows the uh, flow of the water like he knows when mm-hmm. the current is running east. Now he he know he says he talks about seeing the glow of the lights of Havana, right? Mm hmm. Um, and so that'll help light his way home when he when he gets yeah. close. So so he's never lost, even though he's being pulled out farther than than he's he's already familiar with. But it is like in terms of the hero's journey, like we do get the very distinct like, OK, we're into the unknown now, <laughs> you know, and and uh, we're down into the depths and uh, like you can't definitely map on the Campbellian journey uh, onto Santiago's experience. Yeah, I'd say it's. And, and I'd say this would be an interesting one to map it onto because it's not a typical hero's journey. Like he crosses thresholds and, and like you said, he, he moves into the unknown and he, um, he, in the abyss, he like, he rediscovers things about himself or Mm -hmm. right. You know, Um, and then, and then clearly like there's a turn a return, Mm -hmm. you know, he gets to the point where it's like, okay, got the fish set the sail and head back home. And he is respected again as, a master like it's, it's more like reclaiming his title than earning yeah. a new title. Yeah. A master of his world. Uh-huh. Um, but he, he, like there's no boon. No, because the, the boon gets taken from him by the sharks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, um, right. Like, well, I guess, I guess the boon is that you know, essentially the skeleton that they still has lashed to his boat. That That's the boon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, it's, yeah, you have, you know, basic steps in, mm-hmm. in as much as you can map basic steps onto almost everything. Um, but I wouldn't say it like it, I wouldn't use it as a typical example of the hero's journey. If I, if I was teaching the hero's journey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like, well, let's look at old man in the sea. I would Mm -hmm. still say star Wars. Yeah. Or Lord of the Rings, you know, Mm -hmm. some of our (laughs) go-tos. Um, but, but I did like, it did definitely stand out to me. Um, kind of like when Sam says like, this is it. This is if I take one more step, this is the farthest I've ever been from home uh, in the narration when it talks about him being pulled out farther and farther. I'm like, oh, there's there it is. <laughs> there's the moment. Yep. There's there's your threshold. Uh-huh. Uh, um, uh, yeah. What do you what do you think it is for Santiago that drives him to endure like it just as a character study? Why does he never cut the line loose? I'm. It's interesting because he he cuts a line loose earlier, right? Well, and that's he, for like when he uh, catches the marlin. He he cuts other lines. 
Yeah, so he, he has other lines the in in the ocean, and he's like, "I nope, this is it. The, this one is the big one. I cannot, uh, you know, even care about about these other lines that I'm so, in the ocean." And, and so eventually, like when when one gets a tug, he's like, "Nope," and he just cuts it free. Um, yeah, like he's he's not giving them any thought. Yeah, and so it's not like he has any sort of commitment where it's like, "No, I never cut a line." It's like, mm-hmm. "No, he could give up on this. He's given up on other fish." Um, and so it's not. Like, it's just the way that he is. But I don't I've been really trying to think about it because he has such a clear commitment. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, half of this book is, is him just reaffirming his commitment um, and, and talking about how he's going to keep enduring. And. I don't know exactly what it is, but it feels real. Yeah, when he finally does kill the Marlin, like he has a moment of guilt and remorse. And I think it he says at that point I killed it for pride. Is that am I remembering that right? I well he he kind of has a debate with himself like why did I kill this? Did I do it for pride? Did I do uh-huh. it for this? Am I honoring it by you know doing what I'm doing? You know like I'm bringing it back. I'm I'm providing food. This is a good thing to do with it. Um I love the fish so it's not a sin to kill it. Um you know he has a lot of debate internally mm-hmm. about his motivations. And I think that that like that introspection is a positive trait, right? That's a virtue of his. Yeah. And, Where and, because he is thinking about it, it means that his actions are, are more right than they would be if he was mm-hmm. not considering it. Right. An inconsiderate, an unconsidered action is more more wrong, more sinful in the like in the context of this, an unconsidered action would be more sinful than yeah. an action taken with thought. And like, I think it does circle back to that, uh, the classic Hemingway, like it, it's true and pure. If you're doing it for the right reason uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that you have, you've decided what the reason is, uh, but, but at the same time, like he, he's not sure he's, he's, he is questioning himself. Um, I mean, he's also pretty delirious at this point he he goes out yeah. for like five days with a small bottle of water <laughs> yes yeah yeah like dehydration and malnourishment are both hitting pretty strongly <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and so uh, one thing i think is kind of interesting is if it is pride uh you know which gets grouped amongst the the seven deadly sins or you know whatever you know pride goes before the fall like we have all these negative connotations about pride like this is almost herculean task it's a, accomplished because of his pride. And I, th- I think Hemingway is, uh, you know, playing with, with some of that, that dual nature of what pride is and how positive or negative it can be. Uh, Cause I think this experience mm-hmm. uh, is definitely both a positive and negative. Like it is gloriously triumphant and also a bit stupid and almost kills him. And definitely tragic. Like all these things can be happening. Like there's this constellation of feelings that we as readers and, uh, Santiago is a character. Uh, I think Hemingway in writing about Santiago, like, like there's this constellation of takes that we, that we can have and there's validity in all of them. Uh, and there's this, uh, I, I think pride is definitely something that is being explored, uh, both for its positive and its negative attributes. You know, this, this part of the discussion is reminding me of, um, and this, at this point it's years ago when you and Todd discussed Rudy. Mm hmm there was a little bit of conversation where like by the end of it, you're like, and this is really amazing, but also like he kind of just played one, like one play in a game of football, (laughs) you know? And and, like, you kind of get like a discouraged 
finale to that. I think both of you kind of like hated that 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 take came out at the end of that episode because <laughs> I think you both really like Rudy and you appreciate like the achievement and the struggle and the work that he did to do something. But you also kind of have this like, yeah, but was it kind of stupid to make that your big goal? <laughs> um, and I think that's like you're talking about the same kind of thing. And so now, like, I feel a little bit better about Rudy having put it in the context with this is like, yeah, but he didn't even get any of the meat back. You know, it's like, is it kind of stupid to have like put himself in so much danger and to commit to this giant fish? But it's like, yeah, but also he really did the thing. He really did it. And so I'm like, I'm I'm feeling better about Rudy because of you putting it into the context with this or, or like you talking about it, talking about this in a way where I could connect the two. And it's like, yeah, sometimes like it's a great thing and it's a terrible thing kind of simultaneously. Uh, yeah. And I, even then it can make me think about the fact that like, there are those things in life that you, you enjoy that you did them, but you don't enjoy doing them. Does that make sense? Like you, you want to have done it, but you don't want to do it like running a marathon. Like there's no actual joy <laughs> and unless you really get a runner's high. I think uh, like, like the actual act of running a marathon is pretty awful, but it's kind of cool to have run a marathon. Well, and part of and, me is thinking like, is, is, is there kind of an inverse that we get um, with old man in the sea where it's like, okay, he doesn't really have a lot of joy and satisfaction either from the experience that he had catching the fish or having caught the fish and, and not bringing it back. But would there have been a dissatisfaction in quitting? Yeah. Um, so, he, you know, he's is, getting... and is that enough that it's worth the effort that he put into it? Mm-hmm. Very real physical and emotional trauma are happening to him because he won't quit. Mm-hmm. If he had cut the line after a day or after 12 hours or after two hours was like, you know what? This, this thing is, uh, I need a bigger boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's like, he yeah. could have ca- caught other fish. Like he did catch other fish mm-hmm. during this trip. So he could have caught other fish and gotten back to shore and, and all that. But it's like, ah, but like for the guy that Santiago is, would that have been like betraying himself too much? You know, would that have been a conflict with his, with his identity. And I guess so. Yeah, it's, uh, it gets into that, um, you know, self versus self, uh, kind of conflict, right? Um, would the disappointment of being the kind of person who would let this fish go? Cause it's going to be too hard. Be worse than the actual trauma that he's going to experience pursuing this fish and uh you know then the the added toll of not being able to bring in the meat you know that that is the primary reason he's a fisherman is to bring meat to his community uh to be able to sell the meat to continue his own life uh to bring meat to other people so they can continue their lives that is going to be unfulfilled on this particular journey so is it a fulfilling quest that he has been on in the end um and i think what we're supposed to come away with is that yes, <laughs> it absolutely was. So like this, this was worth all of it. Um, but I, th- I think there's still validity in like asking those questions uh, and, and, you know, pondering them a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's so tricky because like, 
I want him to have done this, I think. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, man, was it really worth it, Santiago? Like, should you have done this? I'm like, but I, I like, and this is a sign that it's like a good story, I think, in some degree, because it gives me these conflicting feelings. And it feels, it feels, it, to, to be Hemingway-esque, it feels very true and honest. And I think one one other thing, tying it back to like Hemingway's writing style, there's not a lot to this story. It, it's pretty basic. Uh, like we said, it, it's not playing with like uh, authorial flourishes in terms of, uh, you know, twists or surprises or intersecting timelines or making you reconsider what you've learned before. Any of those things um, that um, we sometimes praise as like what, what good writing is going to enca- encapsulate. And yet within that simplicity, there is that iceberg aspect of it where it's like, oh, it feels like there's, I feel like there's more here <laughs> than just this story, whether it is, you know, the religious allegory or, uh, you know, exploring what kinds of conflict there are or thinking about Madeline and Santiago, which we barely get any of their relationship, but what we have is so interesting. Or even thinking about like Santiago and baseball, like why baseball? Why Joe DiMaggio? Why, you know, why is, why are these, when we're getting so few snippets, why is this what's being included? Uh, and, and, and there's such deliberateness in that in those inclusions and in what we what is here on the page that you you sense there's so much more to the story and that's where the iceberg theory um like really does pull you in where 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 you find yourself dwelling on it um you know after after you finished it because you're able to finish it because it is so sparse in its prose style and uh you know direct and deliberate in the in the in the word choices that that Hemingway uses. Well, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts on Santiago and uh, the old man in the sea? I I know that I'm going to think about this <laughs> story a lot. I don't know what I'm going to think about this story. That's the Does that make sense? Right there. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it is. <laughs> you don't know what's is, under the water. It's it just, is going to stick with me. Something there. Yeah, it's going to stick with me, but I don't know what I'm going to gain from it. Part of me feels is like is there anything else for me to gain from it? Like, is there a message? Is there a philosophy that I should be considering in my life? And I'm not sure, but, but it's going to come up in my brain periodically. I know that. And for any listeners, um, this is really like, say you've just been wanting to read a little bit more. This is a book you can grab and like read in two evenings of like right before you go to sleep you can do it in one if you really stay up but like within a week of just reading a little bit before you go to sleep you could say i've read one of the books that's in the contention for the great american novel mm-hmm. yeah it's it's like you can sit down and you can read this in a short time this is not going to take you a long commitment mm-hmm. and, and i'd say i'd say with that in mind it's very worth it yeah uh, particularly because it is uh you know it, it's it's rewarding while you're reading it and then it's it's uh, i i think if you're going to interrogate it as as a text or 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 look back on it like you're never going to be disappointed <laughs> uh cuz there if it it just feels like there'd be more things revealed the more that you you think about this 
Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott after you composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. It's like maybe they should be familiar with these characters a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they're beloved. <laughs> they have pre-existing fandoms. <laughs>